Luke, chapter 23, verses 1 through 56, and it can be found on page 1639 of your pew Bible. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, You have found this man subverting our nation. And he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And he claims to be a Messiah, a king. And so Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You have said so. And then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, he said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. And from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of of some sort. And he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, and they vehemently accusing him. And Herod and his soldiers ridiculed, and they mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. And that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. And I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for the charges against him. Neither neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. And he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore... I will punish him, and and then I will release him. But the crowd, the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them one more time. But they kept shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts, they prevailed. 
So Pilate decided to grant their demand, and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up, and they mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and they said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, 
stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, he wrapped it in linen cloth, and he placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Tracy and I watch reruns of old shows, and as anyone else find that they prefer some of the old stuff compared to, yeah, I see some hands going up. And, and there's, there's lots of channels that'll do that for you. We watch stuff like Little House. I'm in trouble now. We watch some Seinfeld, some Friends. Um, we started watching again uh, the, the TV show House, you know, about the doctor. That's kind of fascinating. It's possible that some of you, we used to watch it a little bit. Um, you know about the TV series that used to be on, it's called Er, I mean E-R. Okay, yeah, that Rosemary Clooney's grandson was on it, some guy, I don't you know, I know who he was. But, and, um, but it was popular, and, and you can still watch reruns, although... Um, I haven't seen any. It really wasn't a favorite of, of ours or mine, so we don't really put into it. But as you may know, um, the show centered on the lives of an emergency room staff, and it's a large urban hospital. And the cases that came in through the door, they were really all over the medical spectrum. There were gunshot and knife wounds, there were heart attacks, there were strokes, there were infections, aches and pains in every part of the body. And well, there's also times when there were patients that just couldn't grasp reality anymore. You just never knew what would be next. And it seemed as if they were constantly overwhelmed and the hospital was getting stressed beyond its capabilities. Now, somebody posted a scene from ER on the internet, and the, the scene um, opens up with a 
cancer patient who used to be or, or is also a, a doctor. And this man is near the end of his life. And he has a tremendous load of guilt. And one of the hospital chaplains is trying to help him deal with the guilt, but it's clear that she's grounded in a new age kind of a thinking, a a worldly kind of a thinking um, that isn't Christian. Um, Maybe it's kind of like religiosity, which is a derogative term, but it's not scriptural. It's not biblical theology at all, and it's clear. And so you see this doctor, as the story unfolds, has once been an executioner who administered lethal drugs to people who had been sentenced to death by lethal injection. And he told the chaplain about injecting a young man and killing him, only to find out about a month later that the young man, the young man was innocent and that he had been framed by a group of crooked law enforcement officers. And ever since that revelation, this doctor had to live with the fact that he had killed an innocent man. And now this doctor faced his own death, and the guilt terrified him. It was not lost on this doctor that soon he would stand before his creator, that soon he would have to answer for killing this innocent man, and he was terrified. Now, the chaplain who tried to help him, as I said, it was obvious he's not a Christian. So, she tried to help this man understand that it was not his fault, that he could search for peace within himself and prepare for his death. She did everything she could to build up this man's self-esteem and achieve peace with his past life. But nothing worked. You see, all of her effort only made the man angry. And finally, we can see it boiling up, and the patient absolutely lost it. And he said, I need a real chaplain. I need a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. I need someone who can tell me how to find some real forgiveness. And then he ordered the chaplain to get out of the treatment room. Now, the scene really frustrates me. And every one of you who paid attention to that extra long gospel knows the answer that the man needed to hear. I'm going to read it for you one more time. Not the entire gospel we read, but this. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verses 33, 34. This is exactly what the doctor needed. He was in agony of guilt because he had executed an innocent. And here is Jesus calling down from heaven forgiveness on the people who crucified him. He, Jesus, was the most innocent of all human beings. He himself. It'd be interesting to be able to dub, I don't have that skill set, but to be able to dub into that video that was on the internet post to say, lady, just give the man a Bible and read Luke 23 to the guy. Explain to him that the very first people Jesus forgave were the people who executed the innocent. This means you. Explain it to that man. Jesus forgives you. And this man, this man wanted a real God. This man wanted a real hell. How many times did Jesus describe hell? He described it as the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus also described hell as a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark 9, 48. He also described it as the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. Jesus described hell as a very real and very, very painful place. So, we have everything this man wanted, a real God, a real hell, and real forgiveness. All of this is there in Jesus, hanging from that cross, Christ and him crucified. But Jesus is not finished. There are two others that were hanging there with him. For it says, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And we often refer to these men as thieves. But that just isn't right. I'll tell you why. Rome did not crucify ordinary thieves. If these men were companions of Barabbas, then they were terrorists. They had both killed many. And at first, these two criminals mocked Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit produced, the Holy Spirit produced a miracle of faith in one of the criminals. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence and condemnation, 
And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus had more than forgiveness for him. More than just forgiveness. For with forgiveness comes life and salvation. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The forgiveness of Jesus produced paradise for this terrorist. Now these examples of Jesus forgiving people from the cross teach us that Jesus has forgiveness for everyone. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. So, what about you? What sin will terrify you when you face death and realize that you will soon stand before your Creator to answer for these things that you have done? What sin will threaten to drive you to despair? Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. Have you been able to satisfy that command? Have you gone to places that you shouldn't have gone or onto websites that you shouldn't visit? The Bible says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3.15 Who have you murdered with your hate? Because Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How's that working out for you? The simple fact is that each and every one of us has secrets that would destroy us if they became common knowledge. Each and every one of us knows that we really do deserve both temporal and eternal punishment. And each and every one of us knows that we have to stand before holy and almighty God in nothing but our own worth. And if that were so, we would be doomed. The words of Jesus from the cross give us confidence that no matter how bad our sins are, he has forgiveness for them. That no matter what we have done, there is paradise for us. And that the sin that terrifies you the most has been taken up by Jesus to the cross along with all of your other sins. That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. 
And today's gospel reading is it's very serious. It, it deals with the death of Jesus who is both God and man. And there is a way that his death saddens us. It does. After all, his death reminds us of, of our sin. There is also a way that his death is, is very good. It proclaims that he has taken God's punishment for our sins onto himself. And the proclamation of Jesus' death is both law and gospel. Jesus' friends laid him in a nearby tomb, and the hour was late. The Sabbath approached quickly. There was nothing else they could do. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. There's some law. And both Jesus rested and his friends rested, for there was much to do on the first day of the very next week as Jesus left the tomb and proclaimed his victory. However, that's a story for another Sunday, next Sunday. Today's gospel, in conclusion, teaches us that we can rest assured that all of our sins, even our worst and most terrifying sins, have been forgiven by Jesus on that cross. In the name of Jesus, amen.